The programme which follows is brought to you by Resonance 104.4 FM. You're listening to Very Loose Women. Hello and welcome to Very Loose Women on Resonance 104.4 FM. Um, I'm Catherine Johnston. I'm Emma. And tonight we've got Chris and Stanley, engineering. On tonight's show we're looking at how porn affects our sex lives and our relationships. So Emma, just first question. When did you first start hearing about porn? Were you actually aware of it at school? I just think we should talk about the fact that we just played uh, first ever Duran Duran on the show. Is that Girls our first on film? Ever? I don't know. <laughs> I just wanted to make it sound a bit grander. But yeah, Girls on Film, very relevant to the topic. Girls and Boys on Film, possibly. The first time I heard about porn, I don't really remember like hearing the word porn necessarily. But what I do remember is, I think it was like a TV channel that is no longer exists, maybe, called like Live TV. And it was like a free one that you could get. <laughs> and um, One of the dodgy ones. Well, quite high yeah, but it wasn't dodgy. Like feed. it had like kind of, it was just like kind of generic TV shows. Some quite fun, like Agony Ant type ones. It was like just a kind of trashy, but like absolutely fine TV show, TV channel. And then at like 9 p.m. one day, my whole family were like watching it. And they had like the news. And then like the woman reading the news just started like undoing her top and actually like from like 9pm onwards they had like naked news <laughs> I don't know if that counts as pornography it was definitely embarrassing to watch with my parents titillating <laughs> I feel like there was lots of things that were maybe a bit pornographic in nature but you wouldn't necessarily class as porn so things like Euro trash on TV that kind of stuff but yeah like people definitely talked about porn there was a book that people kept bringing into school and it must have passed through like hundreds of kids it was a kind of someone found Kama it no it wasn't anything like that it was something really tacky kind of paperback a bit dodgy and someone found it in a ditch and I <laughs> saw I first came across it in year seven someone had it and then like in year nine and year ten it was still going around and my friend's little brother had it it was like book the one thing that got passed around school I actually still don't know what was in it you know it was Were more you things cool like that to have it passed into your hands no no one uh, no one gave it to me <laughs> I really don't remember at a young age actually seeing anything too explicit. I think when we kind of did a little mini survey of some of our friends about porn, like before the show, I spoke to someone who was talking about when he was younger, trying to access porn at home. And in the days of no no high speed internet connection, just a very slow, you know, band by band picture coming up. <laughs> he was saying that the problem was you get the little band, it's a girl's forehead, the next band of image comes up, it's like her eyelashes, whatever, you know, it keeps going. But sometimes disappointment, she'd be in a swimsuit. But you'd have <laughs> for 10 minutes to find that out um but yeah obviously so like i think that probably limited us slightly in that we we're from a, that kind of pre yeah high speed generation yeah i think that i was very curious about things like when i went to friends houses and they had um if, if they read the sun i i would just find myself like totally like gravitating towards it because i couldn't get my head around the fact that there was like a girl without top on and um, but that's really the extent i don't think i would have had the courage to do something um like actually look for you know proper hardcore porn on my parents computer i think what's interesting is also that so we're talking about i think we're kind of on the cusp of this like internet porn generation mm -hmm. where like i'm not saying people our age didn't seek it out but i think it's much more prevalent now the nspcc and childline just published a survey of 700 children and they found that 10 percent of those between 12 and 13 um are concerned they're addicted to porn that's shocking 
20% have said have seen pornographic images they found shocking or upsetting mm. and more than one in 10 said they had taken part in or made a sexually explicit video god um, that's just something that we, I wouldn't have imagined when we were that age but maybe I was very sheltered I think that also kind of puts paid to the idea that you can you know a lot of the types of pornography that very young children might be exposed to is go, is inevitably going to be harmless a lot of people would think that it would be you know things like what I talked about in terms of the sun image of a topless lady for example but actually those children are saying that it's things that actually really upset them and yeah it's not a bravissimo catalogue yeah it's not um and the kind of things that you would find lying around the house it's stuff that really is um it's potentially very difficult to deal with so i suppose that takes us into our first clip that we have which is jamie he uh, works with me now he used to work for the national aids trust and he talks a bit about um way that um children now might have sort of unchecked consumption of pornography do you think that porn is good or bad I think porn is excellent. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, I don't think it's the, the terrible influence on people or societies. Some deem it to be, as long as there is proper sex education that comes with it. Yeah. I don't think it's. I, I don't think it would lead people to the, the old thing as people say, "Oh, he wants me to be a porn star." Don't think that's really the most important point. It's all. I mean, it's all about practicing safe sex, of course, and knowing how to protect yourself from from STIs or using contraception properly. But in my personal experience, everyone is into what they're into, and I don't think so. Like the laws that came out from the government recently, the ones that just came out of nowhere, uh, saying what was it? You can't show female ejaculation and and things like yeah. spanking. Yeah. People yeah. are. People are legitimately into spanking and it doesn't make them bad people. So people want to see what they enjoy. Some people might pick up tips, some people might pick up techniques because it's all about relationships, knowing how to approach that with your partner. I think sex education in general in this country is, is terrible. Well, it's not even compulsory. That, mm. says, that says enough on how important it is uh, on the agenda, on the national curriculum so yeah i think i think that's where kids need to learn it's not from porn sadly some may learn from porn and if it's not responsible porn that that's a whole other discussion what responsible yeah. porn is then yeah they, they could be misled but if people are being educated properly and then having a little one-on-one -on -one time with themselves that that that's the perfect compliment to each other but at the moment yeah it's it's some people uh, will be learning from porn and that was shown in the the national aids trust study with with gay men a lot of people were learning from porn because not only is sex education bad, it's awful for, for LGBT people yeah. in particularly. That's where the damage is done. So yeah, I think I guess he touched on some really important points there, which is like it is so prevalent and it's really key that like sex education skills is incorporating talking about porn and talking about like what is fantasy, what is reality, what can you expect from sex? Absolutely. I think a lot of parents do try and block it out as something which okay when you're older you'll be able to deal with it but it's as we talk about a lot on the show it's, it's very difficult to when you have the internet around especially and everyone has a smartphone it's difficult to stem the flow of information and content last year we attended the feminism in london conference and we saw part of a documentary film which was based on the feminist writer and anti-porn campaigner gail dines's book her book is called Pornland: how porn has hijacked our sexuality and both the film and the book make very uncomfortable reading and viewing and um, she focuses 
focuses particularly on the violent and very hardcore porn um, which she calls and is known as gonzo porn and she looks at the effect of it on male and female bodies which are involved in making it so this type of porn is a huge money spinner it's available and it's popular on mainstream sites even if we might see it as being very hardcore and extreme it is um, hugely prevalent so we asked Gail why she wrote Pornland and what she wanted readers to take from it for the readers and the viewers of Pornland, what are the political outcomes that you would like um, them to take forward? What are you actually aiming for? Oh, that's easy. A mass movement to close down the porn industry, um, all forms of sexual exploitation, um, trafficking, prostitution, all of those, which are all connected to the porn industry. I would like to see us develop a movement whereby it would be seen, just as it is now with slavery in the United States of America, totally unacceptable that you cannot allow people to be enslaved, which is exactly what the sex industry does. And also enslaves men, I mean, men who, boys who are prostituted as well. This is not just gendered. How would you define porn? I don't define it. I say if the industry produces it, and because we have an industry, it's like saying, how would I define a car? What does the car industry produce? That's what a car is. Same with porn. I don't get into definitional issues. It's not really necessary um, because the porn industry has a very clear definition of pornography. They only have two major types of porn that sell. Um, well, really one, which is gonzo, which is the hardcore porn. So I say if you can put porn into Google and you get into the free porn sites, which is where you go, and it's up there, then it's porn as far as I'm concerned. In pornography, the people who are actually acting in it... Um, they're, they're not acting, it's oh, really sorry, happening okay. to them. Yeah, it's quite easy to see kind of the effects it could have on them. But in terms of a viewer, what are the effects that you think it has on a viewer to view porn? Well, you don't have to think. I mean, there's tons of research. There's over 40 years of experimental psychology research that shows that the more porn men use and the earlier the age they use it, the more they buy into the porn world. Now, that doesn't mean to say that if somebody, a man watches porn, he's going to become a rapist, right? We're not talking about causation here. We're talking about what's called correlation in social science. What we know is there is correlation between the using of porn and the belief systems and the worldviews that men have that map onto the porn industry. I mean, that is empirical research. That There's no question. No one who studies it argues that's a question. We um, went on to ask Gail a bit more about her views, but I think, Emma, you've got a couple of points that you wanted to raise first. Well, I also I just wanted to say, when we were kind of researching this, and I looked at um, actually the Family Planning Association's policy on porn, they made the interesting point, which is there is no legal definition, which I was kind of surprised by, but there isn't. there's only legislation about what is illegal porn, but there isn't actually a definition for what is. So surprisingly, like what Gail said wasn't so crazy, her yeah. car analogy. But yeah, I guess she she is very much attacking maybe the kind of the violent and oppressive porn industry. Yes. As opposed to maybe just generic amateur porn. Yeah, so we asked Gail whether her very uncompromising views on porn and would alienate people, especially those who practice the sexual habits that she believes are within the porn industry um, inherently violent towards women and men. No, because I'm talking about the multi-billion dollar a year porn industry and the way that they construct sexuality. Um, it's like asking me, am I worried that if I critique McDonald's and their use of labor practices and their uh, pollution, am I worried about how I, people who make hamburgers at home feel? No, what people choose to do 
in their own lives, um, as long as it's not you know violent and oppressive, then that's really nothing to do with me. What I'm talking about is the way in which sexuality and patriarchy is constructed through a multi-billion dollar year industry geared towards men, which is based on the subordination and dehumanization of women. I think it's interesting because I guess what she is saying is, you know, do what you want in your own home, that's fine. But then she's saying as long as it's not violent or oppressive. And I think that's kind of confusing to me. You know, where is the kind of line of what's acceptable then? I mean, some people enjoy things that are violent and oppressive in their kind of sexual fantasy life. I don't feel like Gail has a kind of right to say, you know, that's become unacceptable. She's differentiating between the the sort of money spinning industry and what people do at home. But there is a crossover because a lot of people send photos into, you know, um, in the past magazines like Zoo and Nuts, people would do that. Um, so I don't think it's always as clear cut in that sense either. If you don't know much about Gail Dine, she basically advocates a radical feminism, which sort of links um, patriarchy and violent pornography to capitalism. And the kind of thrust of her argument is that we shouldn't just empower ourselves as individuals. Instead, we should look to speak for other people who we might think are being oppressed and exploited because they lack their own voice. So we wanted to get a very different perspective on that. So we went and spoke to Sam Bowman. He is the deputy director of the Adam Smith Institute, which is a free market libertarian think tank. So kind of the exact opposite of chaos views. And I spoke to him about porn and personal agency and the effects of pornography in society. Do you think that porn is good or bad for society? Uh, I think it's basically good for society. In general, the evidence that we have is that the more widely available porn becomes, the uh, fewer domestic violence uh, incidences there are, the fewer rapes there are, the fewer sexual attacks there are. So the connection that some people suggest that porn sort of drives depravity and that drives violence against women actually seems to be exactly wrong. Uh, in fact, it seems that porn is, a, is an alternative uh, for, for kind of disturbed people or, or sort of bad people uh, to, to actual violence against women. So even the kind of worst sorts of porn that I, you know, looking at them, which I don't, but, you know, if I, <laughs> you know, knowing about them, um, they, they seem horrendous. They seem to substitute violence against women and they seem to substitute mm. for abuse rather than to complement or encourage it. And I, I, so, so even the worst kinds of porn, I think, are, are beneficial to society probably. Where's that data from? How do you calculate that? Are you looking at information from different countries or is it based on just the UK? It's uh, different countries. So the, the I'm going from the research by a guy named Nick Cowan, who is a uh, grad student at uh, King's College London. He's actually writing a paper for us on this at the moment. And the evidence seems pretty clear. So the, the internet is a really useful one because you can track um, access to the internet and rudimentary sort of blockings and things like that. Uh, in different Western countries, and he's looked at uh, this kind of trend, and you kind of presume as soon as you have access to the internet, you have access to porn. Mm -hmm. So that's so that's kind of the, the assumption that they make. Now, obviously, some feminists think that porn is violence against women, um, or they think that there is something inherently exploitative about porn. And I think on a, on a, in certain cases that might be true. Um, I think in for both men and women who get involved in in any kind of work, but porn is a kind of special kind. There will be people who probably shouldn't be doing it, and they probably don't really know what they're getting into. I don't think that we can generalize um, from those people uh, to say that the entire industry or the or everybody who does it is being exploited. It's certainly true that those marginal cases are, are we, we would like to not have those and we should do what we can to encourage people to get out if they're in that situation. What some people seem to do is to extrapolate from the worst extremes and then to say that that applies to everybody. Not only is that I just I think just 
factually untrue. It's also incredibly disrespectful to anybody, a man or a woman, who is not being exploited and who has actually made the conscious decision to take their clothes off and have sex with people for money. The very the radical feminist attack on porn seems to me um, has to assume that all those people are has no agency, basically. They have no mm. way of knowing for themselves what's good for them. And that gets back to the kind of problems that I have with certain forms of feminism, which seem to say that women or lots of women are like children and they need to be stopped from doing that to protect them from themselves. And that's very liberal and I don't like that. How do you protect certain people who maybe we might not want to view that type of material? So I'm thinking about whether we actually would want to stop younger people, children obviously, um, from being exposed to it. I think that it's good for people to have... Um, kind of access to that kind of thing um, I think children or teenagers at least should be should have access to that kind of thing I don't think we should go around parents backs um, because we don't we don't know enough about it every study I've read is pretty much inconclusive about whether um, teenagers viewing porn leads to them having more abusive sex lives or um, having stunted sex lives you know not not having sex lives things like that mm-hmm. um, again is it a substitute for or is it a complement for a sex life who knows so the best thing we can hope for is for some parents to be dictatorial and not let their kids see porn, and some parents to let their kids see porn. And then maybe in 50 years we'll be able to see a divergence. And <laughs> we can use different, different families as, as sort of a different laboratories for, for this. Yeah. Um, and I feel, that, I feel like that's the only way we can really learn. Personally, um, I will let my children look at porn. Um, I will never say that to them because it's embarrassing. And, you know, I, I will not um, impose sort of blockers after the age of 12 or 13. So um, there's so many points that he's he's raised there, but I think like yeah, I guess he kind of hits on the fact that he kind of says you know there's not really negative effects, and actually like the more porn people consume, then it kind of stops people from committing certain acts. Controversial, I think that's controversial, very and controversial, very contentious. Um, and I'm not I'm not sure that that's necessarily accurate. I think that there's so many kind of different studies showing quite opposing results. I'd be interested when this paper is. Because he said that um, they have a student working on it at the moment. I'd be interested to see that finished paper and find out more about how that's been calculated because it's based on some heavy assumptions. It's just interesting that the think tank actually is looking into this as something. The level of consumption at the moment is kind of unprecedented and like the access that people have to some quite like hardcore stuff is unprecedented. So it's probably quite difficult to make any huge claims about correlation or causation now because, you know, kind of first generation to have all that access. It's also kind of interesting that he, when kind of questioned on like, would you put in any kind of barriers, any limits, any distinctions? He goes for a sort of arbitrary age limit of 12 or 13 because that's when he started <laughs> watching porn. Um, and especially when he then says, I'm not, you know, ganging up on him in any way, but um, he's made a lot of bold claims um, that he you know, would never say it to his children because he'd be embarrassed. I think that's kind of hitting on something that we've always tried and talk about, which is like, you need to talk about these things. You shouldn't be embarrassed. Mm. You know, it needs to be part of sex education. These things shouldn't be embarrassing to talk about. Yeah, I, I, I certainly agree with you. And that's something which um, in the clip earlier that Jamie mentions, you know, that, that comes part and parcel with the, the education aspect of learning how to deal with these things and showing that, you know, part of being a grown up is addressing um, issues that come up like this. Back to the kind of stats that we talked about, the NSPCC childline stats, that there are children who are younger than that who are seeing these these kind of images Mm. and saying they're actually upset or offended or confused by them. So we actually found it quite difficult, surprisingly difficult, to find someone um, to take part in a show who did watch hardcore porn and had watched hardcore porn fairly regularly. And that's where Matt Rowland Hill, um, who is a journalist, kindly stepped in. And Matt told us about the effect that watching porn has had on his sex life, specifically 
hardcore stuff. Yeah, I'm 30 years old and um, I've been having sex for about 15, 16 years and I think I am pretty much of the last generation of people who started having sex without um, having seen a lot of pornography. I, I hadn't seen online pornography before I had sex. When I started having sex with my girlfriend as a 14-year-old, you know, I basically had to make it up as I went along. And, um, you know, things are very different for teenagers nowadays. You know, people, uh, you know, a study show that young kids, you know, kids of the age of 11, 12, you know, they, they've seen a lot of hardcore stuff before they start having sex with with real men and women and um you know that's gonna be a, a a revolution in the way that we think about sex and the way that we do sex i think it's already you know having a huge effect pubic hair has become much less of a normal thing first i noticed it on women you know but soon it was uh, also true of men as well clearly something that people are picking up from pornography the pressure on women to do to engage in acts that are you know more extreme anal sex deep throat oral sex the kinds of things that you see in hardcore pornography and you know that weren't part of my sexual life as a teenager but that i have noticed have become much more normal in um, you know people's sexual lives as I've become older, and I, I think it can only be the influence of porn. You know, I've seen in my own sexual life the effect of watching a lot of hardcore pornography. I mean, it does have a kind of coarsening effect on your sexual tastes. Um, I think a lot of studies show that, and you know, my own experience shows that, and conversations I've had with other guys have also borne that out. So. I'm not a kind of crusading anti-porn activist. At the same time, I'm uncomfortable about the direction that this is taking us in. I hope and I trust that young people nowadays have got the nous and the savvy to be able to tell the difference between fantasy and reality. And I also think that maybe there are cultural spaces opening up for explicit representations of sex that are not like the kind of, um, you know, extremely unrealistic, male-centred, artificial type of sex that we see in porn, but that are messy and awkward and, and ordinary, like in the um, HBO series Girls, which I've been watching recently, which I think is excellent. It's, it's a complex picture, but one thing's for certain, you know, whether we're doing sex education in school, kids are educating uh, themselves in sex um, from a very young age, 11, 12 years old, and, you know, they, they, they're learning a certain kind of sexual practice as a country, as a society, we need to get to grips with that and we need to educate kids in, you know, what's acceptable, what consent means, what kind of give and take in sexual relationships means. And, you know, if we're not doing that, then, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm pessimistic about the direction that we're going in. But we have to do a much better job of talking about this. Matt mentioned that most of the porn out there online really is just made with men in mind and it doesn't really cater to a female audience. So we kind of wanted to put that to the test. And a friend of ours, actually in her 20s, recently discovered the world of online porn for the first time. So she told us about why she decided to start looking uh, for porn and how she found it. I didn't have any exposure to porn growing up. I went to a very sheltered school, but also I just had no interest in it, um, no curiosity to find out what it was. I thought it was this kind of niche thing and had no idea how pervasive it was. The only time I really saw it was when I opened up a 
a web page and sometimes an ad would pop up and I'd immediately close it down as quickly as possible because I was worried that it would give a virus to my computer or something. The first time I really encountered it was when I was with um, my ex-boyfriend. Um, I went around to his house and went onto his laptop and I opened it up and on the web page there was a porn site that he'd been watching before I arrived. I got really upset, um, I think because the girl on the screen looked nothing like me and I thought, does he want me to look like that? Does he want me to look so manicured and so artificial? Is he not satisfied with the way things are at the moment? I was also upset that he obviously found this attractive where a woman was clearly dressed to be in a submissive role and I think I was just drawing parallels between what he was watching on the porn and what he wanted in our relationship whereas he said they were completely different things. I've struggled to understand that. I then didn't really think about porn again um, until actually last year when the, there were those legislation changes on what wasn't wasn't allowed in porn. So I was reading articles saying things like female ejaculation had been banned, face sitting, this kind of stuff had been banned. And I thought, well, I really should form an opinion on porn. I can't just ignore it. Um, it's much, it's obviously a much bigger thing for our society than I thought it was. So I kind of sorted out, which is the first time I'd done it. I didn't even know where to look really. So I just went onto RedTube because I'd heard that was the place to go, and it was just like rows and rows of these like gifs um, showing the highlights of each porn video. But basically, each gif was exactly the same of a man coming onto a woman's face or variations of that, and I did not find any of it attractive. So it's like scrolling down to try and find something that maybe I would find interesting. They all just were awful. <laughs> So, and they, then they had like search buttons so you could look for, well, it was all basically just variations of different types of women and men. So Asian girls and men or big breasted women and men or mixed race couple or none of it was appealing to me. So in the end, I just went for one of the first ones because I thought, okay, this is top viewed. It must be good. I didn't like it at all. I just felt that it didn't reflect a realistic relationship. The characters didn't have any substance to them and it didn't seem to be any respect between the man and the woman and the woman clearly was she, she she didn't seem to be empowered or you know taking the lead she was just really doing whatever well having whatever was done to her be done and I think I'm the kind of person who I find what would be stimulating for me is kind of more of a projection of what I would like to see in my relationship and I just didn't find any of that on RedTube. That's not to say that it doesn't exist. Um, I'm sure that that kind of stuff does exist. And I think it would be great if that was also more prevalent. And what I couldn't really understand from RedTube was that it just seemed to be catering for one type of fantasy, which was, uh, which was a man doing something to a woman. Do you feel like you would know where to get porn that you might want to watch? Well, I, I did a quick search. <laughs> Just uh, it, doing some research for the your, show. Your first, uh... My first foray. Well, um, I was looking into the Feminist Porn Awards. So, I mean, it's that definitely, sounds great. there Go are definitely those out. things out there that don't seem to be in any way oppressive. People who are doing it enjoy it, want to do it, and are happy. I think it'd be interesting to see if we can find out a bit more about whether people are able to access that. So maybe that'll be in a porn round two. I think we're going to have to have a part two. <laughs> so to be continued. Thanks, Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.
This program was brought to you by Resonance 104.4 FM. Visit our website at resonancefm.com to hear our vast range of original 24-7 broadcasts. Resonance is a not-for-profit broadcast platform that relies on public support. If you like what you've heard, make a secure donation at resonancefm.com.